This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Ria Liu from China Tech Insights, Tencent on the pulse of live streaming in China. We discuss the business structure and supply chain of live streaming companies within China, how the business have evolved from the desktop to the mobile, and what is likely to happen in 2017. Hi, Ria. Hi, brother. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good too. I think our last conversation has gotten a lot of people writing to me to get you back on the show again. Oh, that's my pleasure. And I'm talking to Ria Liu, analyst at China Tech Insights from Tencent. Ria, since our last conversation, what have you been up to? So I'm actually working on a new analysis on the current live streaming trend in China right now. So we did a report last year and since it has already been almost half a year, we are making some updates on that report which also gave me a chance to look at my old studies as well. Yes, and actually, we have actually arranged to talk about this report as well. The title of this report is The Pulse of Live Streaming in China, Understanding the New Chinese Lifestyle and the Businesses Behind It. Coming to the conversation, I wanted to start off by asking you, how hot is the live streaming phenomenon craze in China look like? It's really pretty hot. So live streaming was one of the hottest business in China back in 2016. Overall market of live streaming actually like tripled in three years from 2015 to 2017 and the market reached to a peak in the later half of 2016 the maximum monthly active user as i last checked was 120 million. Even the latest data show the number has dropped a little bit to around 100 million. I think it's still pretty one of the fastest growing market in China in the past two years. Before we go on further, so I wanted to ask you, what do you define as live streaming and does it draw inspiration from platforms in the West then? Yeah, for the second question first, it did draw some inspiration from the West. Live streaming has been in China for a long time. But the current new wave of live streaming, the new craze is based on mobile live streaming, mobile like live streaming on mobile platforms, live stream using smartphones and other mobile devices. So the first time the idea of mobile live streaming caught the attention from the Chinese public was when Meerkat took off on the South by Southwest in, I think, 2015. It has been like the prototype of many mobile live streaming apps in China, as we have seen. So like when we talk about live streaming now, most of the time we are talking about live streaming on mobile platforms. And do you have some examples of those platforms that you talk about in live streaming then? Sure. Like one of the first live streaming platform that quite a lot of attention from the public was Seventeen. I think some of people may heard about that. It actually reached to the peak of ranking in many countries, including Southeast Asia. Another one is called YY, which is public listed in the US. So I guess some of your 
audiences may be familiar with these two platforms. What is the chronology behind the rise of live streaming in China? I mean, you talk about Meerkat starting from the South by Southwest phenomenon and subsequently it started to go into China. How did that happen then? Live streaming per se wasn't new in China, as I said. So the desktop version of live streaming platforms first appeared in China in around 2005. The earliest pioneer was called 9158. It was actually like a live streaming platform for entertainment, for example, like singing performance, dancing performance. It has been around for quite a long while. And later, another platform called YY appeared. And in 2013 and 2014, these two live streaming platforms, 9158 and YY, each went public in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and in the New York Exchange, respectively. So this is like the pre-age history of live streaming in China. And now what's hot right now is actually the mobile live streaming. The mobile live streaming appeared in China after the appearance of Meerkat. Some platforms in China began to duplicate the format of Meerkat, but adopt it a bit to localize in China. So they add in the important feature uh, which brought YY and the 9158 to the public market, which is a tipping-based platform. So with this platform, a tipping-based feature, with this feature, you can buy virtual gifts for the streamer. The virtual gifts can range from a one-cent rose to a several hundred airplane or digital. This gives build up the monetizing platform for all these platforms. The first time mobile live streaming platforms really caught the public attention was in the later half of 2015, when the App 17 became the top of many app rankings. It was soon took down by, I think, App Store and also Google Play because of some undecent content. But many other platforms still exist and took the space of its vacancy. One of them is called Inke, and it's also one of the most popular live streaming platforms today. In the first half of 2016, we saw a lot of investment crushed into this very niche market, which pushed it to the current situation. Just to help my audience to know this is that in China, live streaming is called Zhibo. And I think in the 2016, because I had Eva Xiao from Tech in Asia who came on the show to talk a little bit about some of the apps and some of the cultural aspects of live streaming. There is also Hua Jiao, there is there is Huya TV, and you of course you have mentioned YY. And I think there is Douyu and Weibo, even the social network Weibo as well, who also have their own live streaming content. So it seems to have exploded a lot. So given that the amount of heavy data requirements from video streaming can the technology infrastructure within China support it? I think it has done a good job. So China actually has a very high adoption of 4G and also a high penetration of Wi-Fi, especially in top-tier cities. Like these elements actually contributed a lot to the fast rise of live streaming in China, especially the affordability of high-speed internet and high-quality smartphones. Those high-quality smartphones with high-resolution cameras makes it much easier for the live streamers to broadcast their life. Before, if you want to be a live streamer, you have to make quite an investment in buying the necessary equipment 
for example, some really good camera and good microphones to help you to improve the quality of your stream with the smartphone. And you just need to invest like several hundred dollars to buy a mid-range to a high-range smartphone. And that's all you need to make a good stream. So the mobile live streaming really lowers the technical barrier for live streaming in China. Just to add to the numbers, I've actually read your report. In fact, I think by May 2016, there is 584.5 million 4G users in China that's based on the China's top three operators, right? And also a lot of the CDN. So I think that actually supports that infrastructure itself. What I'm very curious is how lucrative is the live streaming phenomenon in China? Can you provide some examples that are similar to YY? Right. So I was looking into the data as well. So here's a very good example for our audiences. Take another U.S. listed company, Momo, as an example. I think many people are familiar with it as a dating app. But actually, from last year, it has also launched its live streaming business, which has become a very important part of its revenue. So in the third quarter of 2016, the live streaming business of Momo brought a company a revenue of 108.6 million US dollar, accounting for 69% of its total revenue, and almost doubled compared with its revenue in the quarter before. So it was the driver of the growth of the company, and it was only one of the many live streaming platforms that are making quite like such a big profit today. According to my source, most of the top non-gaming live streaming platforms in China are making a profit, no matter the big ones or small ones. For gaming-focused live streaming platforms, it's a bit harder to make a profit because, one, their users tend to tip less compared with the audience of, like, audience of other types of live streaming like entertainment. And two, for gaming-focused live streaming platforms, they have to offer higher resolution videos for example you always want to like look at all those games with in like high resolution which adds up to the cost of bandwidth for these platforms so this live streaming platforms that with a focus on gaming has lower profitability but a recent report I read about Douyu said the company has already made a profit and it also has a focus on gaming. I think this means like the most live streaming platforms, especially the top ones, are heading to a more healthy revenue. Oh, that's interesting. Before I get to that question, what are the user demographics like for live streaming phenomenon in China? Well, like typical users of live streaming in China are young male in their 20s. The gender ratio of audience of live streaming in China is normally 3 to 7 or 4 to 6, like female to male. And for like Twitch-like platforms, which focus on gaming, such as Douyu, they normally even like lean to male even more, sometimes have a ratio of one to nine. The primary users are normally residents of the first and second tier cities. But a lot of platforms are now actually like seeking a growth in lower tier cities. So income-wise, quite a proportion of live streaming platforms have users who are students, which means their average income are not very high. 
But according to my source, quite a number of high-income users actually have become the primary support of many platforms. It's kind of like 2018 thing, like 20% of the users are actually generating 80% of the revenue of these platforms. How are the monthly income and education level of this user population? Because I understand from your report, you did a lot of analysis of whether what are the proportion of them are coming from college, senior high or postgraduate. And then in monthly income, it seems that the middle income groups are the highest users of the live streaming phenomenon. Right, because the middle income and higher educated, like acceptors of higher education, they're normally the early adopters of new technologies. According to our report, 43.8% of users of live streaming are coming from like the middle income range, and 53% of them have received a higher education. Is also partly owing to the new platform because now we're talking about like live streaming on smartphones. Smartphone users in many cases are still the early adopter of the society, which means they can normally have a higher social status in many sense. Tally to the average income of the user, for example, I think from your report, I remember reading that average income in China is about 656 renminbi. Does the user demographic also changes in terms of the tiers of the city? That means, do you find that more first and second tier cities users are actually using the live streaming apps? Right, but it's also like a changing trend because we are now updating all this data and we see a new trend that more third and fourth tier cities residents are now becoming the user of the platforms. So like before, it was more linear to like first and second tier cities, but now it's more average amount all tier like different tiers of cities just one last question before i get off this part of the user demographic so what's the split between male and female in live streaming users then okay for live streaming there are more male users than female users for like twitch like platforms which has a focus on gaming normally the user demographics from male to female is like nine to one and for like general entertainment or lifestyle type of live streaming platforms, it's normally six to four. It's normally six to four to seven to three. Wow, that's an interesting figure. So here's the part that I really enjoyed reading your report is the part about the supply chain of live streaming. I would definitely put that infographic of yours, which actually details how the live streaming platforms work with brands, audiences, copyright holders, you know, the professional crews behind the live streamers and also the tech support into the show notes. My question is, can you provide some understanding to how the live streaming business work in China today? What is the value chain and the business model that are driving the profitability of most platforms then? Sure. Right, so this may be a little bit different from the platforms in other countries because compared with those like Twitch-like platforms in the U.S., which build upon like membership, subscription, and uh, uh, advertising fees, most live streaming platforms in China are actually built upon a tip-based revenue model. So on these Chinese live streaming platforms, as I described, users can purchase digital gifts in-app and send this app to streamers. The price of these gifts can vary a lot from like really cheap, like one cent or two cent little gifts to $100 airplanes. 
and the revenue generated from the purchase of these digital gifts are shared between the platforms and streamers. As the whole industry developed, it also appeared like some some organizations which are similar to the MCNs in the US, they help the streamers to manage their platforms and also help them to manage their fan communities. At the same time, they also gain a revenue, like gain a share from the revenue generated by the streamers. Actually, nowadays, quite a number of live streaming platforms in China are also getting into this kind of like agent business. They help those streamers to connect with advertisers and sometimes help them to get some other deals like contract for TV dramas. From this, they're building up a connection with these streamers to keep them on the platform and also sometimes get a share from the revenue for these streamers. So it is actually an alternative of revenue that's creating for all these platforms today. Mm. And do you, I mean, in terms of the the value chain itself, is it just between the content providers and the live streaming platforms or are there any other stakeholders at play? Sure, they're like always the advertisers, the brands, and also the same, uh, another party that is really important uh, in the platform, uh, like in the whole value chain is the technical support teams. Uh, quite a lot of like cloud businesses are actually uh, making a profit through their um, through the development of live streaming platforms today. And at the same time, we will also see, like as I mentioned, the talent agencies. These talent agencies help the uh, streamers to get their uh, advertising contract, help them to manage their uh, fan communities, and at the same time make a profit from this uh, streamers' uh, revenues. And there's also a, a different group of content providers today, like uh, compared with the individual streamers, they're the professional crews, they're helping the platforms to generate more high quality contents, like some reality shows. And they're also part of the business today. Mm. And another party in the business is actually the copyright holders. So it is mostly in the case of game live streaming. For example, if you are uh, live streaming the uh, Legend of League, you are you sometimes it's possible for the uh, for license holders to sue you for making use of their contents. So if they want to, they can actually uh, request to take a share from your revenue generated through the stream. So. Now, nowadays, I think few of them have really done so. But if they want to, according to the law in China, they can do it. Whoa, okay. So the second question you haven't answered yet is the business model. I know it's primarily primarily divided into two parts, virtual gift selling and advertising. Can you talk a little bit more about them in terms of how the flow of the virtual gift purchase on platforms actually work for the viewers, the platform and the streamers as well? As I said, so first, uh, all these users, they buy gifts on these platforms and then they send the gifts 
to all these streamers. In this case, the streamers are actually acting as the like the salesperson for all these virtual gifts because they're uh, trying to attract all these users and asking gifts from them. And after that, um, the revenue generated through this uh, this purchase action, uh, purchase and send action, uh, goes between the streamers, the platform, and sometimes the agencies of the streamer. So it's normally a, a flow like this. Mm. And what's the income distribution like between the streamer, the agency, and the platform with virtual gift purchase then? It actually varies from platforms to flat platforms. And sometimes when the, platform, the platforms of streaming grows bigger, it, it will request a higher share from the streamers. But normally it's between like 30% of all the revenue will goes to the streamer and about 70% uh, to like sixty percent to seventy percent will go uh, will go to um, the platform, and the agency will take the rest. So, what's the income distribution like for the streamers? Your report actually you split it between below US five hundred dollars, between five hundred to two k, and then two k to twenty k, and above twenty k. I guess it's very pyramid like in terms of the percentage of the streamers. How does the distribution looks like? Only 10% of the top streamers can get a higher revenue of like over USD 20,000 a month. And it normally contributes to 30 to 40% of the total revenue of the platform. Most streamers on a platform can only get less than like $500 a month. And many of them are not like full-time professional streamers. They may just like stream as a side business. Still quite a number of them, like normally between 10 to 20% are making over 2,000 US dollar a month. For those who can make over 2,000, they are normally belonging to a sizable talent agencies because these agencies help them with the training and also promotion, which helps them to get a higher revenue than other streamers. The other business model I thought you mentioned is advertising. And one of the things that's been mentioned in your report was the major marketing campaigns that went on to the live streaming platforms. I saw the cosmetics brand Maybelline using actresses and web stars to do live streaming. And the sales performance was something like about US $210,000 which is about RMB 1.4 million, which is a, for 120 minutes. And I think there is the fashion magazine L, and there is also the Zhang Taiyi's Taobao shop, which is a web star there, that actually generated 20 million in GMV, which is about RMB, and which is about 3 million US dollars. So is e-commerce the direct path from advertising into e-commerce for live streaming? So for e-commerce related live streaming, there are two types. The first type, as you just mentioned, it were some early attempts made by brands on all these live streaming platforms. And quite a number of them have made quite a good like impact and helped them to gain quite a conversion. Another type is for today, like Taobao actually has embedded live streaming in its platform. Taobao is the biggest e-commerce platform in China. And it now has a Taobao stream inside the app and users can view the live stream in the app and the link to 
those items for purchase is directly on the screen of the live stream. It has been a very easy way for users to access all those commodities directly from the stream. And it has already also become a very popular way of promoting all these items on Taobao today. So my next question to you is, what's the confidence from the capital markets with respect to the live streaming market then? Well, the capital market is what I think is less interested in the live streaming market today compared with what they have done in the first half of 2016. We didn't see many investment in live streaming market in the first two months of 2017. The only ones who have raised some money recently, platforms with primary targets on overseas markets, for example, the Bingo Life, which targets the Southeast Asian market. Those investors interviewed uh, normally co- like consider the live the valuation of live streaming platforms in China already have been pretty high. For example, the leading gaming live streaming platform Douyu claimed that the platform has raised. 2.2 billion RMB in 2016, which is around $340 million. The high valuation of the top platforms make it a less attractive deal for venture investors. And at the same time, considering the size and the profitability of all these live streaming platforms in China, it will still be quite a long way for them to go before they can really go IPO. So for investors, considering the return of investment right now on all these live streaming platforms, it is like it isn't quite attractive as many other like hot white sectors in China right now. So is live streaming a winner-take-all market or is it going to split into different category winners? For live streaming, it's definitely not a winner-take-all market. In fact, it can be like really long tail. Medium-sized players are still able to make quite a profit if they can manage to keep enough users on the platform. This is also what happened before between YY and the 9158 in the desktop era. So YY is much bigger than 9158, but 9158 still managed to make quite a profit by gaining the third and fourth tier cities. I think in this year, some like really small platforms which appear during the sudden craze of live streaming last year will disappear because they don't really have the capacity to compete with the bigger players in the market. And they are actually the bubble in the sector. In this year, we will see this bubble busted. So what's next for live streaming this year in 2017 then? In 2017, first we will see, as I said, some more uh, live streaming platforms will disappear. And the second thing that's more exciting for live streaming platforms is a concept called Live Streaming Plus. It means to use live streaming as a tool in other business sectors, such as, as I said, e-commerce and also like education. They can make use of live streaming as a tour to upgrade their businesses. It has already been a very popular tour for e-commerce platforms. You can see many like web stars or shoppers use live streaming to promote their items and also to build up the loyalty of their fans. 
And at the same time, we're seeing like education as another area that live streaming has been widely adopted. So it helps teachers to increase the interaction on their online courses. And according to like one of the surveys we just did, users who have tried live streaming courses are more favorable of the format compared with the recorded courses because they find this more similar to like the real classroom settings where the teachers are actually interacting with you. And some online education platforms in China are also embracing the format of live streaming. They're like creating some very interesting scenarios for using live streaming in their daily teaching. For example, on Kuxue. Kuxue is the live streaming platform of the local education giant New Oriental. It is one of the biggest live streaming focused education platforms in China. One of the courses available on Kuxue is to practice your oral English together with the teacher every day at 6 a.m. It gives the students a very strong sense of building up a learning ratio. And it is like a really popular among students as well because they are feeling a, like a real way of uh, learning things through a daily ratio. And this is also achieved only on live streaming platforms. You cannot get it through like a recorded course. So real Many thanks for coming on the show and I'm always interested to hear more of your insights on the China internet and mobile economy. So help my audience, how do they find you? Right, so you they can always find us on our website, which is www.chinatechinsights.com. And they can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which we provide the latest trends of Chinese market every week. And also they can find us on Twitter at CN Tech Insights. And you can find me at bleongcw or at bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and of course, Google Play in the US market. And of course, recommend us on iTunes with a five-star rating or on Overcast. Once again, Ria, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for the invitation.